Hello, Life, well, hello, Life Community Church. Uh, my name is Greg Cutler. Um, I'm one of the deacons here. I've been coming to the church for quite a few years. I usually do set up in the morning, so I'm not here in the afternoon or the later service. Um, one of the things I'm also is I'm, my wife and I are blessed that we are able to, to work with Operation Christmas Child and collect the boxes, and we are a drop-off center here in the North County. And I'm going to get into this here in a minute, but first I want to say a couple other words. I also have the opportunity, oh, that's right, I also have the opportunity to be a football coach here at Templeton High School. And uh, so what I'm going to talk about, I'm going to relay it in that aspect because that's how my mind uh, works. Um, life is like a game. And uh, there's a winning team, and there's a losing team. The winning team is God's team. God gives us a game plan in the Bible. And uh, if we take that Bible, we play on that team, we're going to win. At the same time, this is what I'm, I'm bringing this up. I challenge you to not sit on the sidelines, to be active, to be part of that winning game, be part of that team. Because it's so, so easy to sit there and sit back and watch. But when you're part of that, part of the action, when the things are happening, the joy, the, the elations that you get, well, someday we're all going to feel those joys and elations. And it's just going to be unbelievable. So that challenge is to, to get involved, whether it's with the children's ministries, the youth, whether it's cleanup, sound, singing, whatever it is, be involved. Be playing in the game. Don't sit on the sidelines and just sit there and watch. That brings me to this. This is Operation Christmas Child. A simple box. I can't sing like Alex does or Paj. I don't have that voice. I'm not gifted with that. But I can pack a shoebox. That's pretty simple for me to do. So I'm asking, I'm telling you to get in the game and, and pack a shoebox. It's simple. This is not just a gift that's going to bring joy and smiles to a young child, but it's a gospel opportunity. Somewhere, someplace in this world, a child will receive that. They'll understand that somebody cares about them, that somebody loves them enough to pack a shoebox that's showing God's love. And it's just, it's an unbelievable opportunity that, that we have that we can do that to show. So I'm asking you again, get in the game. Be part of it. Play the game. Thank you. Now I'm going to do God's reading. And today it's Luke 14, 7 through 24 in the ESV version. Now he told a parable to those who were invited when he had noticed how they were chose their place of honor, saying to them, when you are invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the place of honor. Least someone more distinguished than you be invited by him, and you who, had, who were invited, you both will come to say to you, give your place to this person, and then you will begin with shame to take the lower place. But when you are invited, go and sit in the lowest place, so that when the host comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher, and you will be honored in the presence of all who sit at the table with you. And everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. He said to, also to the man who 
had invited him, when you give a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, or a rich neighbor. Least they also will invite you in return, and you will be repaid. But when you give a feast, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind, and you will be blessed, because you cannot be, be repaid. For you will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. When one of those who was reclining at the table heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat the bread of, in the kingdom of God. But he said to him, A man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at that time for the banquet, he sent his servant to, uh, to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everybody, everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a field, and I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of ox, and I go to examine them. Please have me excused. Another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. So the servant came and reported these things to his master, and the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets, the lanes of the city, and bring the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. And the servant said, Sir, what you have commanded has been done, and there is still room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways, the hedge, and compel to the people to come in, that my house may be filled. For if I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. As we read God's word and are reminded of what the good news is that we hear today. The challenge is still before us, as it is with, with me every time I go into a party, a celebration. Where am I going to sit? And, and where is all the fun and engaging and really, you know, the cool people, where do they get to sit? And, and so often, if you've ever been to a wedding recently, there's like the coordinator has the seating assignments and there's always that question. Did I get stuck with the like random third removed cousin? Like we kind of are obligated to invite those people. You know, there's a table around the barn, like outside, not in the lights and heated area. You're like, I got stuck with that table. Might as well just stuck me with the kids. And like, at least I could have crayons to entertain because who are these people? And here the question is, where's the seat? Where is your seat? guaranteed you have a seat at the table in your house. There's a seat order to our house. So when friends come over, they don't know, and they inevitably sit where they shouldn't. And our kids quickly remind them, that's my dad's seat. Get out. He's going to throw you out. And, and then they sit there, because obviously I'm not going to throw them out. So then they just take my seat, and then I get to go grab a stool and sit on that. Sometimes when, when family's over. And, and the first point that Jesus makes here in the middle of this party, this celebration in the chapter is this standard of sacrificial giving. So I'm just going to interrupt this huge celebration right now and talk about giving and how you're doing it wrong. It's like, oh, who invited Jesus? The beginning of the chapter, we didn't read that, but it says it was this really powerful leader, this ruler of the Pharisees. It was his house that this party was thrown and he hosted it. And second, Jesus actually shows how reasonable this kind of giving is because of the logic of the gospel. So it's not just a giving, it's, hey, I'm going to share the gospel, and I'm going to use giving as an opportunity to see the lens of your heart. So first, the shocking standard Jesus lays out for sacrificial giving 
is, is for his people, his disciples. It's not for the world. It's only those who believe and follow Jesus. And second, Jesus anchors this giving in the logic of the gospel through three stories. So first, let's look at this amazing standard in the middle of the passage. It says that Jesus said to his host, Jesus was invited into this home, this prominent ruler of the Pharisees in 14.1, and they're watching Jesus carefully, as, as if they're trying to set him up or catch him doing something he shouldn't do. And so Jesus picks up on this tension slash plot, and he's like, ha, your ambush is going to be ambushed. Hey, there's a guy over here who has dropsy. Can I heal him on the Sabbath or not? And so everyone's like, uh-oh. If we say don't heal him, then we're the jerk. But if we say you can heal him, then our religion is foiled and we can't control people and manipulate people anymore. What do we do? So they just stay silent and Jesus jumps into action, heals him, and is like, you take your ox to the food and drink on the Sabbath. Why can't we heal one who's made in my image, God's image? We see in, in verse 7, when he noticed the guests were picking places in honor, they completely ignored this one that Jesus healed. This was a typical dinner where people were trying to sit as close to the host. They were so focused on getting in with the host and not helping the one in need. And so Jesus interrupts and says, hey, you guys, time out. When you give a party like this, when you do these dinners, um, you're actually doing it wrong. You're not supposed to invite your friends, brothers, relatives, or neighbors who are rich. You're supposed to understand the background will help us understand why he flips it. And he says, you're supposed to invite the poor, the hungry, the hurting. And the reason he switches it is because of this Greco-Roman world that operated on the, the patronage system. It's similar to how we operate today with LinkedIn and, and networking. It's just, there's a little bit more formal dining because they didn't have phones and computers and you could just network all day, every day and and meet people all over the world on a screen, so you had to go in someone's house and sit at their table, and, and that's where all the business deals were done. That's where all the networking happened. Uh, you didn't meet at Starbucks, or you didn't meet at a boardroom and with CEOs. You met at the CEO's house, and you met around a table, and there's CEOs of CEOs, and everyone comes to that CEO's house. So this patronage system went like that. In every community, there was these certain prominent wealthy individuals or group of individuals who were investors. And the investors were the hosts of the party because they had all this money and resources and they wanted to invest it and there was no stock market and LinkedIn. They couldn't hire people and run. So they'd invite people over and say, all right, what do you do? Who do you do? Oh, you know, you know who needs to meet you is, is her over there and she needs to meet him and we need to get these people around. We've got to invest over here and do these deals. And so the person that hosted it was the patron. He was the chief investor and that person would give you loans. He'd give you gifts and, and most notably is he'd open doors. He'd cut the red tape, which around here, it'd be awesome if we went back to that. You'd just go to Joe's house, have a dinner, and you'd get water and electricity hooked up at your house the next day. Forget PG&E's 10-year or waiting for Templeton to give you water on your land in 20 years. You just go meet Joe for dinner, and the next day, boom, you got water, electricity at your house like that because you had dinner at Joe's house. That would be awesome. Instead, you got to go through the city council. You got to do this. You got to submit this paperwork. You got to wait. You got to call him. We never got the paper. You got to do all this stuff. That was all cut out because you went to this guy's house for that party. So that invitation was literally money. Like that was, if you got that invite, your house, your job, your 
business would be able to get just the wheels greased and red tape cut, and you'd be cruising. And so we see that this is how a lot of things got done in the community, because you had a lot of these people who owed you. You helped them out, they helped you out, you pat their back, they pat yours. So you always got breaks on things. You always got deals. Things got done. Patrons could get a lot of things done in the community. They were the ones who kept the ball rolling or stopped things from happening. So if you wanted to expand and the patron was against you, good luck. You better sell your plot of land and move. You can't get anything done. So you're trying to meet new investors, trying to move up the ladder in society or maintain, right? If you didn't show up to that party, you lost your loan deal. You lost your business deal. You lost your credibility in the community. So it was a huge deal. The people who came to that dinner were extremely important. So obviously, that dinner would have cost a lot of money. But it always paid for itself because you made all these deals. And you could reinvest your wealth into other campaigns and other business ideas. And, and so it always paid for itself. As much fun, as expensive as it was, it was so important that you were there. And Jesus comes into this man's house, into his party, who's an investor type, the patron, and he says, hey, when you do this lunch and dinner thing, don't invite your friends, your brothers, your relatives, your rich neighbors, that they can profit, the people who are there. If you do, you'll, they will invite you back, and they will repay you. Of course, that's how the patronage system, honor system works, right? And he says, here's what I want my disciples to do. When you have a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. First off, what is he saying here? At first glance, you're like, wait a minute. Never have my friends over? We could pray there and end it. Be a good sermon. I tried that with my kids. Our Bible story kind of got hijacked. They lost their minds. We're like, wait. Like, yeah, Harper, your birthday's coming up in March. We'll not invite friends or family. We'll just go downtown. We know Scott does a homeless outreach. Bunch of people homeless. We'll invite them. That's what Jesus said to do. They're like, we can't do that. They're going to steal all our stuff. All the homeless. We're gonna... That guy's like on drugs. He's kind of, he's like twitching. That scares me. Like Jesus told us we need to invite the poor, not our family and friends anymore, over to our house. And it's, it, it, it gets under your skin. It's like, wow, what is that going to cost me? What is that going to look like? That's a huge sacrifice. We need to understand the idiom, the Semitic idioms. Idioms we all know and every language has them. They have weight and they have power and they flip things upside down. And in, in, in our English language, we, with, in concerning to the gospel, we say you're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. Super concise, clear, weighty. Those of believers are like, wow, that's powerful. When I was doing a lot of ministry and, and, and mission kind of work in Costa Rica, I have a translator who I got to know, and I was like, hey, how's it going? He's like, eh, it's good. But I didn't believe him. It was that tone of like, it's okay, but you really need to work on some things. So I pressed harder. What am I saying that's not translating? Like, what can I do better? He's like, a lot, actually. Like, well, now you tell me you've been doing this for a couple, like, come on. He's like, well, for example, when you say we're saved by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone, I'm like, oh, I say that a lot. They didn't hear, no, they don't hear any of that. It, it doesn't translate into Spanish. The Spanish speakers are, you can agree, I got some nods in the back going, yeah, that doesn't make sense at all how it does in English. And so for us, we're in the same spot going, wait, Jesus, what are you saying? I can't have friends and family over? In, in the language, we see this idiom where he's not saying, don't do that. He's saying, you're giving to ministry by which people get saved. You're giving to, to charity where people's 
physical needs are met and, and they're fed and clothed, that should be massively more important than the money you spend on your vacation, on your new shoes. So the money you give to my kingdom should be of such a greater priority that, that what you live on just pales in comparison. So this, this idiom, this example that he's saying would have literally had everyone's jaw dropped to the floor because he, he does this in the middle of the dinner and he says, he's basically saying, look, these dinners that are represented, the, the vacations, the festivities, they didn't have all these vacations and, and things they did, they had these dinners. And so what he's saying is not that you should never spend money on yourself, but that the money you give to ministry and charity ought to be massively more. What does that mean? What are the implications for us today? The implications are that your giving to ministry and charity must be a greater priority. It must hurt. It must be sacrificial. It's not just the cash in your pocket. They're like, I don't even feel it. It just gave a little bit here, a little bit there, but it must be intentional. So this shocking standard that Jesus lays out in the middle of this banquet, in the middle of this feast, saying, hey, Next time, don't invite these people, invite those people, the, the less fortunate, the poor. Don't invite your friends and family. First of all, he's talking about the priority. When he says, hate your father and mother and love me, he's not saying literally you should hate your father and mother. What he's saying is you need to love me more. What he's saying is, is a priority. It's the best we can do in English language. He's saying the priorities you have, I have to always be number one, and it's not that the next is number two, it's the next is like number 20, and there's nothing in between. Like my, my priority for, for you worshiping me has to be far and above what anything else can even come close to. He's actually saying your giving to ministry and charity needs to be a necessity without question. What's actually optional is your coffees, it's your home improvements, it's your clothes, it's your vacations. That's the optional, but the priority, the necessity is giving to me. And that's what he's pushing in on. He's saying you should be intentional and in inviting over the poor and the needy because your family's always in your house. Your friends are always welcome. The neighbor's right next door. You're always doing business deals. But you should be really intentional about the people that you're not always rubbing shoulders with. You should be really intentional about helping meet those needs that aren't just a day-in, day-out routine. We have certain lifestyle goals. There's certain ways we want to live, certain comforts, certain vacations we want to take, and memories with the family we want to make, and the clothes that we want to wear. So we're warm, but also a little bit trendy. We don't want to be, I mean, completely mismatched, like let's be real. But he's saying if we have enough money to do that and give to ministry and charity, that's our normal way, is, is us first, then what's left over. And he's saying, let's just flip that priority. Let's put me first, and then you, like, at the bottom. So invite, inviting rich friends or business deals over to happen over dinner, that's getting your money back. That's you're investing in this, and they're going to give it back to you. But inviting poor people to eat is investing in eternity. They're, the poor people can't can't hire you for a job after you hire them. They're not going to be able to pay you back, but it's investing in eternity. Putting this into perspective, about a year ago, you guys have been praying, giving faithfully, and a lot of you showed up to, to our church within the last year, so this happened pre-you being here, but um, there's a, a young gal that moved in next door, and they were praying and, and, and 
really just saw this as an opportunity, shared the gospel with him multiple times, invited him to church. He attended here multiple times. And then a few of you guys make breakfast every Saturday once a month and have a men's breakfast. And so he goes and I go and we're sitting at this table and there's a, there's a questions that, that Matt put together around the table. And one of them was, if you could have breakfast or lunch with anyone ever in the world history, who would it be? And a couple guys are spouting off and this guy's like, you, Pastor Brandon. I'm like, dude, hold on. Like, you, you can take another pass at that. I'm not that important. Like, people dead or alive, anyone else? He's like, yeah, you. I'm like, well, we were already talking about lunch, so all right, Tuesday, we'll go get lunch. We'll get Thai food. It'll be great. And so I'm like, okay. And it was one of those that God's like, yeah, he's, you know, you're just going to say, just, just be obedient. And the gift of evangelism I have, really, I looked at as like the, the closing pitcher. You know, it's like top of the ninth inning, two outs, and they put me in. It's like, I got three pitches. It's good. Like, I'm, the game's over. It's 10 to zero. Nothing's going to happen like, I just have to not hit the batter four times, and, like, we got the game in the bag. And that's kind of my deal. I just had lunch with them. You guys paid faithfully. You prayed, and you prioritized. And here's one example where I'm convinced, as I shared the gospel, God already saved him. It was one of those moments where he's like, oh, it's by grace alone, through faith alone? Still not sure I can go. No, you can't. It's done. Oh, it's done already? And a couple of that roundabout, and finally he's like, oh, it's already done. Yeah, the, the table's set. There's a chair for you. Just come sit in it. He's like, oh, I, I guess I could sit in it. It's like, yes, you're saved. God already paid for the, the price for your sin on the cross. He walked out of the grave, received new life. He's like, okay, I'll receive new life. And then his kids did, and his wife did, and his whole family saved. He'd been preaching the gospel through a YouTube channel and the whole snake community, which still, I'm, I'm not sure how you know, that works, but that's what God's called him to minister to. And this pastor in Iowa, apparently loves snakes too, flies him out there to preach the gospel. And that's what God birthed through our church. And it's like, what? The return on our investment, no one came in and said, hey, I'm going to buy this for you or give this to you financially. But as we're going to see, there's a seat that's now occupied by someone's soul and his whole family because of your generosity, because of your prayers, because of your commitment to ministry here. And that's one life in one church. Jesus is saying there's a way for you to spend your money and get your money back. There's a return on investment in this life. But you, if you were actually to throw a big feast and invite the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind, that would just be money out the door. You wouldn't get a return on your investment in this life. And Jesus is saying one kind of use of your money is not sacrificial because it's patting someone's back, they're going to pat yours. That's not sacrificing. That's benefiting, actually. It's the opposite. And the other is sacrificial. You don't know where the money's going. For some of you, that terrifies you. For me, I have so much faith. I'm like, dude, this money better get us like a big building and there might be like 20,000 people saved next week. And you're like, Brandon, that's crazy. I know. It's, it's my own burden I bear. Right? I'm like, God, save all these people. Let's go. We've got a whole state and a whole nation. And we've got to plant churches and send people out from here. Where are the new believers getting raised up? And some of you are like, ah, my life's falling apart. I just need counsel. That's why there's a body to care for you. We all play a different role. And Jesus is saying, hey, you think this is... You think this dinner's cool? You think this is what it's all about? Just, just making business deals and improving your investments? So he puts up this shocking standard. He shocks everybody. He lays out there this sacrificial giving. And he says, look, it's, it's not about just going to church on Sunday and the rest of your life just live for you. He puts this unreasonable thing at our feet and says this is what it's about and it should shock us. As I look at it, it makes me certainly think about myself as I wrestle with this. Sometimes some added income shows up, and it's like, we, we're, we got to tithe on that too? 
oh, that's right, we do. You know, and it's that like, okay, our priorities. Like, is, is extra income really tithable? Is that what we're supposed to give on that? Or is that like, you're talking about guys after last service, like college fund savings, just not 100% God, 80? Okay, we'll give you some too. And, and that's where it, we all wrestle. I'm certainly not up here saying, hey, I figured this out. Where are you guys at? Come join me in this perfect oasis. No, we're all in process. And, and that's where Jesus is saying, I'm the only one that's got it, and I'm helping you realize there's a priority that has to be flipped here. And I think we need to stand under this text and let it challenge us and press on us a little bit. John Newton, this old Anglican minister in the 18th century, he wrote Amazing Grace. You may have heard of that hymn. He wrote several other hymns if you look up his name. Cool thing with Google, it's all there. You can read about him. But he said this, no matter how I slice it, I know Jesus doesn't mean it literally for me to never have my friends over or anything like that. But no matter how I read it, it means I should be giving away a lot more money than I am. Unreasonable? He's, he's, his soul is just gripped and like, ah, oh, I should be giving away way more than I am. And it's not unreasonable if you understand the gospel. As the first point, we see that Jesus lays this out there for this sacrificial giving that's not unreasonable because he anchors it. Our second point, Jesus anchors it in giving the logic of the gospel through stories. So we see, as he shows us these three ways which Jesus uses the gospel to help you see this kind of use of your money, it's a long passage, so we're just going to look at these three stories he tells. The first is in the very beginning, he speaks to all the guests from verses 8 through 11. Second story he shares in the middle where he speaks to the host, the patron investor, verses 12 through 14. And the third story at the end, he actually speaks to the arrogant, proud guest who shouts out, yeah, people are going to eat the kingdom and the banquet. It's going to be great. And he tells the parable of the great banquet. So the first one in verse 7 we already saw this. He sees how the guests are picking places of honor. They're trying to rearrange the seating chart at the wedding and make sure they're at the cool table with all their friends and it's going to be great and, and putting people where they think they should go. And, and Jesus is saying, no, you, take, you need to take the lower seat so somebody else can say, hey, come here closer. This is where you should be sitting. At one level, this is just practical, right? Because not being that kind of person that always toots their own horn or pushes their own way. Like, no one likes that person. They rarely ever actually get promoted. And if they do, then everyone just hates them even more because of how arrogant they are. And what he's saying is, hey, be modest. And by the quality of your life, people will see your quality and speak well of you. And that's better than if you speak well of yourself. And all through Proverbs, we see this. In 26 and 27 of Proverbs, He's saying that this is a core spiritual reality of humbling yourself. We see that Jesus is anchoring giving and the logic of the gospel through these stories. And the first story goes on in, in verse 11. Everyone, he says, for everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So you go to God and you say, I deserve to be accepted. Look at all the good I've done. The gospel says, no, you'll be rejected if you go with that approach. Because you have shown that you don't know what's in your own heart. You're not being honest. You're lying. And if you go to God and say, I deserve rejection. Woe is me. Please forgive me. 
the Bible says, the gospel says that you'll be accepted. So religion goes to God and says, I deserve acceptance, and God will reject you. And the gospel says, I don't deserve to be accepted. Please forgive me. And God says, I've already forgiven you through my son. The gospel says, if you deserve acceptance, you will get rejection. But if you say that you deserve rejection, the gospel says you'll be accepted. And I keep pushing on this because the gospel is, he who humbles himself will be exalted, and he who exalts himself will be humbled. If you humble yourself, you'll be exalted because that's salvation by grace alone, through faith alone, and Christ alone. We look at this term exalted, and it means that God will exalt you. In James 4.10 and 1 Peter 5.6, it says, if you humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, he will exalt you. He will lift you up. The mighty hand of God. When you walk into that banquet, you look for the kid's table and sit in the kid's seat and wait for the mighty hand of God to lift you up and say, hey, this is your seat. You don't go to the head table and sit right next to the host and say, this is my seat. This is where I should sit. Because how humbling is it when you sit at the head seat and the host comes and says, hey, get over to the kid table. You're not, now all the other seats are taken and now you have to go be demoted. And what Jesus is really revealing is John 14, John 12, 43 says, you love the praises of men more than the praise of God. He's revealing in their hearts, they're looking for the praise of men. They're looking to impress each other with what they have rather than let God lift them up and use them for God's purposes. And, and money is, is that all true sign of where our heart's at. It's like the mirror that reveals what's in our heart when you look at someone's bank account or checkbook. So if money is in the center of your life, money is more than money. It's, it's security for you. It's self-esteem for you. It's the God you're worshiping. And, and through that money, it, it provides you power, self-esteem, security. If you don't have God in the center of your life, if you don't have the praise of God in the center of your life, you're like these people scrambling to be at the top. You're trying to connect, always trying to connect to people to better yourself or your investments. And when the investments tank, your emotions tank too. Because there's no peace. You're just trying to get that security, trying to get that power, ultimately the status. And Jesus says, my disciples will have the praise of God in the center of their beings. They've been exalted. And as a result of them exalting, they don't need to scramble. They know they're secure in the power of my mighty hand. They're secure in my inheritance for them. They're not so insecure and, and scrambling around trying to make these business deals thinking their life depends on it. They know their life's already been redeemed, restored, and they know where they're spending eternity so they can be more effective in this life. That should not be your drive, but if someone invites you, that's fine. Our, our drive should not be getting into these inner circles or climbing the ladder, but if someone invites you or or gives you an opportunity, then go for it. That's God's hand there. We're not being against, Jesus is not being against Christians being successful, but that shouldn't be the passion. That shouldn't be the focus. If it happens and God blesses you with resources, God blesses you with power and prestige and position, that's where Jesus is saying, okay, now how are you reaching out to those who are the poor, the marginalized, the hungry, the naked? How are you using your position to draw them in? Because if money is just money and it's providing you that security, you're going to do everything you can to defend it, protect it, guard against it, right? You know those friends that have the, the boats, the RV, the truck, the tractor, the tools, but you can't borrow anything 
from them because if you return it in worse condition than it was borrowed, you got to return it in better condition, you know? And they're, they're like, oh, that's impossible. It's a tool. I'm going to have to drive it down the road. A rock or a bird might poop on it. A rock might hit it. Like, it's going to scratch. And they're like, you don't want to touch their stuff because that's their priority. The, the second story in the middle, he speaks to the host. So first, he's talking to the guests. Hey, stop trying to be proud and, and jockeying for position. Be humble. Humble yourself before the hand of God. Sit the lower seat. Second, in the middle, he's talking to the host. He's telling the host, don't invite these people. Invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind. You will be blessed then, he says. Although they can't repay you, you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. The problem is when we hear Jesus say these things and speak in these idioms, we feel like we should be doing all these things. We should be pouring yourself out for people. You should be letting people into your life. You should be caring for people who are troubled. You should be giving a tremendous amount of your money away. You should be very involved in ministry and charity more than you are. And you feel like you're, you're going to be missing out if you do those things. Like, I, I'm, I'm in hungry for that. I desire that. I want that. But if I do that and I'm not working overtime or if I'm not making more money, then I'm going to miss out. And do you know what's really going on here? I mean, sometimes you got to feel like you're missing out, right? Other people have the money to do these things or go on these vacations or, or upgrade or build onto their house or do these things, and they go here and do this, and you think, I'm missing out. But Jesus is saying, no, because of the resurrection, because of the gospel, don't think you're missing out because your future is not in this fragile, ethereal, floating around, eternal space. You're going to get real bodies in the resurrection, there's a future kingdom of God, and it's a feast. The risen Jesus Christ was there eating and with his disciples, and then when he was ascended, he ascended after he ate the fish tacos with his disciples and went up to heaven in the physical body. That means is that our future, you're not going to miss out on anything. There's going to be a resurrected body and a feast to enjoy. In 1 Corinthians 15, we see this summary. The kingdom of God is a feast. You are going to have new bodies. In Romans 8, 11, it says, if the Spirit that raised Jesus is in you, he will also give life to your mortal body through the Spirit in you. He says, you know, as you begin to get older, you begin to think your enemy is your body. But no, the enemy is in your body, and it will be driven out someday, and you're going to get new bodies, resurrected bodies, healed bodies, perfect bodies, in the perfect kingdom or on the perfect feast. And so he's saying, are you afraid that you're going to miss out on some aspect of life? Because you're giving so much away, so much of your time away, so much of your money away. You're not going to miss out on anything because of the resurrection. Because of the resurrection, because of the gospel. And that's why it's so important not to divide money, time, treasures apart from the gospel. Because when we look at the gospel first, it helps us understand through the gospel perspective why we have the gifts we have. Why we have the money we have and why we have the talents and the time that God's given us. They will not repay you in this life, but he's saying it's the resurrection. That makes it very sensible to give away because you won't miss out on anything. He, you see, he's saying, he's saying why you can give away your money. First of all, you have a new eternal wealth according to the gospel. You have an eternal inheritance that the stock market and presidents, nothing's gonna touch it. Whatever happens this week, not going to touch your eternal inheritance. No one's freaked out. 
Everyone's like, yeah, the world's ending. There's going to be a big war. And the U.S. is never going to be prepared for it because the Bible doesn't have us in it. So why would we freak out when everyone's like, yeah, the U.S. isn't prepared for the big war that's coming? Duh, we've known that. But we know there's a giant party, and we know there's a bunch of empty seats, and our job is to get them filled. And our internal inheritance is already secure, so the resurrection is our focus. And there's a big feast that we're invited to. And so Jesus' third story at the end, he's speaking to this arrogant, proud guest who spouts off a Bible verse he probably heard in Awanas or Sunday school, but he doesn't understand the context, and he certainly isn't saved. He's just throwing Bible out, which happens all the time, right? Jesus is speaking to this guy, and he says in verse 15, blessed is the man who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. True verse. And Jesus is like, oh, okay, you know the scripture. Let's keep talking. So Jesus decides, okay, if you think you know what the kingdom of the God is like, it's a feast, let me tell you what the kingdom of God is really like. Let me explain this, because this is powerful. He's sending the servant out to rural, poor, to the people along country lanes who lived in the hedges along the lane, which we know a lot more about that now than we did in the early 2000s when I grew up here. We, didn't, we had like two homeless people. You knew them by name. Now we have like hundreds, and they're all in the riverbeds. They're in the hedges. And, and so initially, there was this invitation to all the people that lived in homes around Atascara Lake or up across the, 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 the river here in Paso. There's like five homes back then. You'd like invite all five people. Now there's like 500. And, and they're mansions, right? You're like, dude, how in the, like, what, how? I can't I do the numbers, but they're there. And so they got invited, but obviously they're like, I just bought this massive land. I got to develop my giant mansion. I can't come. So Jesus tells the story of this host who invites all these people, and they're like, sorry, I got this field. He tells these stupid excuses. Who buys a field and then goes, I bought a field. I need to go look at it. I don't think the field changed since you bought it. Well, I need to go look at this field. Like, my world is awesome, and I'm going to go look at my awesome world. It's a field with rocks. I can't come to your fancy party. Jesus interrupts a party to talk about a better party that people are refusing to go to. They know the social implications. They know the financial gain or loss, and then he's giving these very sarcastic and stupid, people think Jesus is dry. He's actually really funny when you understand the context. Like, we're, oh, we missed you at the party. Yeah, I had this field I bought. What? Was there like a river on it? Where you No, there's no river. There's no lake. Just some rocks and some weeds. I just had to look at it. That's what it's going to be like. It's like, dude, we had empty seats. Ah, yeah, it's cool. But I'm going to go look at a field. That's what this earth in our time on earth is like compared to the kingdom's feast. And so he's like, hey, then let's go invite some other people. Um, and, then, and I must go out and see it. Please excuse me. Another person said, I've bought five yoke of oxen, and I need to go look at them. Please excuse me. It's like, dude, you've already, they're oxen. Nothing's changed since you bought them. What do you need to look at? So then he's like, all right, go out to the people that live in the hedges. Go out to the people that live in Salinas Creek. These people are very desperate. Many of them were robbers. They were dangerous. They were desperate, and they're more destitute than the urban poor. Notice, for the rural poor, he actually says, go out to the roads and country lanes and make them come in. Make them come in. This is super helpful for us when we think about what the gospel is telling us to do. The commentators are always amazed at this because the Greek word literally means drive them in. So 
it emboldens me, even though I, I have the gift of evangelism, it's like, oh, okay, so debating and arguing were actually implied here. Jesus is saying you need to drive them in. They're not going to get it. Why aren't they going to get it? Why do they need to be persuaded? We need to be a little more forceful when we present the gospel. Last week we talked about being bold with the gospel as Jesus was. We need to know, even with the poor and the hurting, they're still going to push away, which obviously blows my mind. Because when we've gone out at times to minister to those in need, we made this like fancy lot. I'm not bragging, but we make some good lattes. We have a good machine. And, and then we like fancy homemade cinnamon roll. And we're like, dude, this homeless person, whoever God has prepared, is going to get the breakfast of a lifetime on Christmas morning. We got rejected three times. They're like, I'm good. I'm like, no, no, you need to eat this. They're like, no, I'm good. I'm like, no, I'm going to eat it. I'm going to force feed it to you. They're like, I'm good. Just get it back in your car, sir. I was like, what? How are you rejecting this? This is so good. And this is what the Greek is saying. You need to drag them in. Persuade them. It's by grace. And if you've ever shared the gospel, that's the hardest part. Because everyone is lied to by Satan and their flesh. No, I need to earn it. I can't just sit at the seat. I need to earn it. And I haven't done enough good yet. I know all the bad I've done, and Satan's telling me all the bad I've done, and I can't go into the party looking like this. And the silliest thing is, like, I need to go to Vaughn's and buy a couple Campbell's soup. Like, if it's a feast, I need to bring something. i got to bring something. If you've ever been to Vaughn's recently, you can't afford Campbell's soup anymore. It's $5 a can. Don't worry about it. It's by grace through faith. The, the table's set. Come eat the tri-tip. Come eat the flank steak. The shrimp, whatever you want, it's already laid out. It's all you can eat. It's already done. You can't go on your own merit. And they're like, ah, then I can't go. No, it's by grace. You just believe and you're saved and go, come sit. And that's why Jesus is saying, you've got to play with them, drag them in. Do you know what that means? It's a feast. It's not a potluck. You can't bring your own stuff. It's already set and done. The kingdom of God is finished. There's nothing to prepare Nothing to purchase, nothing to cook. It's all finished. You just have to receive that free and full salvation. No wonder the people out on the highways and hedges can't believe it. The master says to the servant, you're going to have to go out there and argue with them. They're never going to believe that they're being invited to something like this. I want you to see, because I think Jesus wants us to see, that you and I might be out there in the hedges today, where we still believe the lie that Satan's told us especially in America. You have to do good things and then God will give you good things. And if you're not good enough, then you can't be saved. That's religion. And the gospel says you will be rejected if you, if you show up saying, look at the Campbell suit I, I got. Like, I didn't want jambalaya Campbell soup. That, I don't even like that, even if it's homemade. But in Campbell's, it's probably gross. And that was how much money? Frankly, many of us are still in the hedges. We're still saying, oh Lord, I know Somehow, if I live a good enough life, you'll bless me. That means you're still in the hedges. You're in the outcast. You're, you don't understand the logic of the gospel. We don't deserve it. We don't deserve it. But because, verse 24, I tell you, not one of those men who were invited and turned down the invitation will get a taste of my banquet. But verse 24 points out that we need Jesus. There are people on the outside, and they're the ones who were too proud to come. They, they said, hey, i got to go look at this field. i got to go check out my ox. I'm, I'm denying Jesus. They're never going to taste the feast. And the people who are inside, they were the humble that said, I, I can't come. I don't have what it takes. Will you forgive me? And God says, yeah, I've already forgiven you. 
couple weeks ago, we talked about the guy in the middle cross. Jesus, on the middle cross, told the thief next to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. The only reason he went was because the guy in the middle cross said he can go. When he said, oh Lord, I'm not qualified, it's, it's not his humility. It wasn't him saying, I've sinned, he hasn't. It was the fact that Jesus died on the cross that he could go to heaven. See, if, if the guy on the cross said, hey, I've sinned and he hasn't, but Jesus didn't die and rise again, he wouldn't be in heaven. Jesus had to die on the cross for your sin and mine. That's why Jesus said, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Because he was hearing his soul hear from God saying, depart from me, you're cursed. And the everlasting fire, he was thrown out. Jesus was cast out, which is what we deserve. But as he was cast out so we could be brought in, he was removed from the table so we can have his seat. It's not just a seat, it's Jesus' seat. It's his righteous seat we get to sit in, and he gets to go be banished out from God's presence. Because of his sacrifice, we're saved. That's why when we look at our checkbook and we go, man, there's not an amount of money I could imagine that would equate what Jesus did for me. It's not because of our humility that we get into the banquet. It's because of what Jesus did. And he was cast out so we could be brought in. He sacrificed everything. That's the final piece of the gospel perspective that helps us with our giving. When you realize that Jesus Christ sacrificed everything to give us life, you will start to say, how can I sacrifice to give others life? How can I sacrifice in a way that Jesus sacrificed so that others can be fed and clothed, but more importantly, that they can have life by believing in Jesus? We see how God's inviting us to sacrificially give as Jesus sacrificially gave his life for our sake so we can give, so the ministry of helping other people become spiritually alive will continue. To charity so that the hungry will be fed, the naked will be clothed. The more you see Jesus, the more you live like Christ and his sacrifice, the more reasonable it will be for you to sacrificially give. It'll make more sense. And I want, I want you to really be thinking about this question as we close. What should my attitude toward my money be in light of the gospel? So for those of you who don't believe in Jesus, don't worry, keep your wallet in your pants or your purse. Don't give us your money. You're not saved. You don't need to be a part of the kingdom work. It's, it's silly because you're gonna be building God's kingdom for someone else, not you. We don't want your money. We don't need it. But if you're saved, then we really are going, man, how much more, as, as John Newton said, man, I really don't like this, but I have to come to this conclusion. I need to give more than I am. What should my attitude toward my money be in light of the gospel? So first, if you're not saved, you need to know Jesus. And then he begins to work on your heart. And it's amazing to see the process where, where God saved people and, and God's working in their heart. And then years later, weeks later, months later, they come up to me and they're like, hey, I just started giving. It was crazy. I just felt like I needed to give. It's like, wow, it's awesome. Like God did that in you. And so if you're hearing this, please hear it's the gospel first. Jesus came to say, you can't get in unless I die for you and you believe. Then you're saved. And then I'm going to begin to give you this hunger and desire to use your gifts, your talents, your time, and, and your money to build my kingdom and join me in the work that I'm doing. So please, as we close, if you've yet to trust in Jesus, believe in him now and receive the new life he's offering. And as you walk in his 
way, as you walk in his footsteps, you're going to give sacrificially. You're going to be pushed on, and you're going to want to give sacrificially, and it's going to be weird. Why don't I, normally I just want to save this and spend it on me, but now I want to give it for them and their benefit, and I don't even know who them are or their benefit is, but I'm going to pray for that and give it and trust God to use it. And that's what we're talking about, is when the gospel gets in us, it transforms our attitude toward giving. So let's pray. God, we thank you that your sacrifice sets us free, that there's a wrath coming, that there's a banquet that we've been invited to, and many think they're going because they're born, because they attended, or because they heard. But even more tragic, they've done things, and they've done them in your name, but you are going to say, I never knew you. Get out of here. Lord, may that stir in us a question that your spirit would answer, am I saved? How do I know that I'm invited and there's a seat waiting for me? And may we constantly remind ourselves of the gospel that we're saved by your grace through faith in you, Jesus. The death, burial, and resurrection has removed our sin and shame and replaced it with your perfect righteousness, your perfect life. Lord, God's wrath and punishment was on you, Jesus, so we could be set free. And as we go living this new life in you, that the gospel would grip our hearts, release our hands that cling so tightly to the money or the stuff, even our schedules, and free us to be more hospitable, inviting people over, especially when the house is a mess and, and there's an interesting smell because the dishes are in the sink, unclean, and and we're okay with it because it's just being hospitable and bringing people into our lives that normally wouldn't be invited in. May we be okay sacrificing the comforts to build your community, Lord. And we know as, as we spend time with you in a minute here that your spirit's gonna speak to us. We pray you'd open our hearts, open our eyes to see how you're gonna move us and shape us to live more like you, Jesus, and give more sacrificially, whether it's our time, our talents, or our treasure, Lord. Because of the love with which you loved us, sending your son to die in our place, and the unity at which you keep this church and, and your church together, may we go and be and love like you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen.